The overall title of this particular series is What's Next? I'm accenting these words again. John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said to the apostles, I have yet many things to say unto you. So his teaching wasn't over, wasn't finished, but you cannot bear them now. You can only take in so much. And that's what Jesus was saying. You can't take in any more. Verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth is come, which he's already come, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. And that's the words that I want to accent there, though I want to finish reading verses 14 and 15. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and show it unto you. Just quickly, even though we've already covered this, verse 15 again shows the relationship in the triune God, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see them right here. Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, and we've already covered that. Look at the words again in verse 13. He will show you things to come. That's really the title of these series, What's Next? It's the things to come. The things that we see unfolding before our eyes and our ears every day in the world, we see these things And as I've said to you so many times, we're fulfilling Bible prophecy at a very amazing rate. And if not at a quick speed, it's very consistently. We're fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. We are blessed, for those of us who actually believe it, to know what's coming next. We don't know the time, but this is certainly the season. And I did mention this to you, and I'm going to say it again. I happen to be a pastor that actually believes the Bible I mean, I truly do. I believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a hell. I believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and that the things that he said mean exactly what he meant him to mean and so on. I actually believe that. I don't take my politics and force it into the Bible and say, this is how it's going to come out politically or for that matter, ideologically or philosophically. I look to the Bible and let it say to me what it's saying. That's my peculiar nature. I actually believe this. He will show you things to come. This is message number 10 in this series of messages on eschatology, the last days. I don't have any doubt. You may. I don't have any doubt. We are getting very, very close to the coming of Christ. And I really don't. Again, how close? I don't know. Am I setting a date? I don't have a date. I don't know to set a date. I don't know. I just know to be ready. I just know that Jesus taught us many things concerning his coming. And he taught about 10 virgins. It's a parable. Five were wise, five were foolish. They all set out to meet the bridegroom. So he's not talking about people who don't know Christ that have rejected him outright. And there's plenty of those in the world. They went out to meet the bridegroom. These five were foolish. These had no oil in their lamp. They let their lamps get low. Then over here, these five were wise. They kept extra oil, kept the wicks trimmed, always looking for the bridegroom. And then it says there was a cry at midnight. The bridegroom is coming and everybody gets up. And these are just as anxious, in the right sense of the word, the way we usually use it. They're just as anxious to meet the bridegroom as these, but they have no oil. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We just sang about it in this song. And they have no reserve there. There's nothing there. So they come to the wise and they say, give us from your oil. Give us your faith. And these wise say, we can't do that because we give to you ours. We won't have any. The advice in the parable is go quickly and do what you can. But the parable has a very unambiguous point to it. It was too late to get in the oil. The door was shut. We're going to be shut. That's in Matthew chapter 25. And as I've said to you many times, 
When you read Bible prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 is considered the closed line of Bible prophecy. Don't skip chapter 25. Because in chapter 25, where it talks about earthquakes and pestilences and famines and wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, all these things, they're the more, I would say, sensational part of looking for the signs of the times. It's Matthew chapter 25 that says, then this is how you should apply yourself. And there was three parables in Matthew chapter 25. When you read 24, read 25, always read it together. Because after you look for the signs, this says, and this is what you should be doing, and this is what you must be doing when I return. Now, without reviewing 10 messages, let me just simply go back to the one where we read about this doctrine known as the rapture. And I told you that there's many good brethren in the church today that don't believe in the rapture, and they have their reasons. We cover that in Bible study. I'm not going to cover that today of people who don't believe and why they don't believe, but they don't. And what they do is they make the second coming all one event, whereas we see the scriptures, and I would say clearly saying, Christ comes first for the church, his people. So let's put the rapture right here. Then we have the rise of the Antichrist, a seven-year period of tribulation that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, that the world would never have known a period in history like this period, never. Which again, historically, if you know your history of mankind, is saying quite a bit. But then we have the coming of Christ at the end of that tribulation period. That's the second coming. Then we have the millennium, thousand years rule. We won't cover that today either. And then it ends up and it consummates in the judgment of the nations and the judgment of individuals, the final judgment of Christ. But this over here is the rapture. And I just want to go over with you briefly why we believe that the coming of Christ for the church will be first. In verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we read these words. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep, all right, those that are dead in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, and I'm going to just translate as I'm reading, shall not precede them which are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And that's the word where we get our English word rapture. The Greek word is harpazo. I've already explained to you that the word rapture comes from Latin, and we get that from the Latin translation of the Bible, rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I want you to look at verse 18 with me again. Well, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You see, in theory, well, biblically speaking, we're supposed to be people who look to Jesus to be the Savior of the world. But I'm telling you that it doesn't always work out that way. Men are men, mankind, men and women. They make mistakes. They have good intentions they can't fulfill and all of these things. But if we're going to have the joy of our salvation restored, if indeed you've ever had it, then we're going to have to seek the Lord with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. So, you know, today, maybe that's the theme. All. I surrender all. Look it up. It wouldn't hurt you to look it up in the dictionary, all, what it means. And you say, you know what it means? Look it up anyway. It will still mean all. But just the exercise will maybe lodge in your memory that all means all. And unless we give the Lord all... We never really come to that place of the joy of salvation. It's ephemeral. 
If the song leader can put together the right songs, and if he or she has the right voice, many, many do, and if the musicians play accurately, and depending on the song service, we got joy. And if a preacher's animated, then we're excited. But picture a train going by, picture the railroad tracks, here's a piece of paper, and it goes zoom, by there so quick, and that piece of paper just goes way up in the air. That's the impetus. But once the train is gone, or the car is gone, or whatever it may be, once the impetus is gone, the paper goes right back to where it was. You see, now the Christian life is not designed by God that way. We're being renewed inside every day. In Chicago, the band had a song, Feeling Stronger Every Day. On the outside, no. On the inside, yes. In Christ. Our joy is not to be effervescent. You know, you shake up a bottle that's carbonated, and you pull it off, and everything is shooting all over the place. That's effervescence. But eventually it goes flat when you release all the carbonation. That's not Christianity. That's not Christ. Maybe Christianity. It's not Christ. He says, these things I have spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you. There's so many other verses as well. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love and joy and peace. Now, does anybody suppose that we're only to have joy when things are going right? But no. There is a power, the power, God who sustains us, as the Apostle Paul would write, in all of our trials. The outward man perishes. The outward man is pummeled. The outward man takes punishment. The outward man can get sick. But the inward man is renewed day by day, and the power doesn't shut off. Once God touches you, you've been born again, truly born again. That power is never shut off. It's always there. But if we think... The joy has got to come from experience, I mean, something outside of us. You will always be disappointed. Let me say it frankly, whether it's your marriage, and we bring children into the world, and there's great joy, but then there's difficulties in life as the children grow up and develop their own will and their own decisions. And sometimes there's tragedies. Find yourself at a funeral for a young person who died long before their time. And these things happen in life. And Christian, if you're truly a believer in Christ, that doesn't mean you're not affected by it. It doesn't mean that we don't weep, that we don't cry. But the Bible also says that we don't sorrow as others that have no hope. We have hope. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, writes unto us that Christ has begotten us into a living hope. Now, I don't know when some people may be watching this or listening to the message by way of the radio. But since you are here with me today, let me again be frank. How many people are disappointed in the turnout of the election? I mean, how it's going at the moment. Well, that's on this side. Then on this side, in 2016, they weren't happy. That's exactly half the country in America now. Of course, there's all kinds of things going on all over the world. Let's not forget that as well. Christ and Christ alone begets us to a living hope. And our minds are being saturated from the media. Well, my mind is not being saturated from the media. People's minds are. I don't listen much to what they say on anything. That's the truth. Oh, I have to watch to be informed, as Denzel Washington once said, if you don't read the papers, you are uninformed, and if you do read the papers, you are misinformed. <laughs> what do we do? Well, we can't be uninformed, but if we read too much, then we're misinformed. Well, you got to read, and you got to be up on things. I read plenty, believe me. I know what's going on. Then again, I'm not really sure what's going on. Until I read my Bible... Well, his Bible. I read the Bible. Then I know what's going on. But here's the thing. One of the things I want to impart to you, I'll get back to the rapture in just a second. It occurred to me in my reading just this week, I think it was, 
Something that we all know, something that you've heard me say thousands of times here. But just like I felt like one of the disciples, there was two on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. And they were all depressed that Jesus had been crucified. They thought he was the Savior. But he died because he wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to liberate the nation of Israel. He was supposed to set up his throne and his kingdom. And he didn't. And they were depressed. They lost all hope. But they also did not know the scriptures precisely. They did not know that Christ had to come here, then leave, and then come here. They didn't know that. And so on the road to Emmaus, they're talking to themselves, two disciples, and they're discussing the events and maybe their lives and their livelihoods and everything they sacrificed for who they thought was the Messiah, and now he's not. And all of a sudden, Jesus pulls up alongside of them. Now, he's toying with them, but he says to them, he says, uh, what are you talking about? Because they're really pretty frustrated and angry. And they said, well, haven't you heard about the events? You're in Jerusalem. You haven't heard about all what's going on? And then they began to explain to the Messiah about the Messiah. <laughs> and then Jesus says this to them. He says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have written. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered? And here it is. And it says, and he opened their eyes. Now, these are Jews who know the scriptures. Just like you, you come to church meetings and you know the Bible. Or you think. And he opened their eyes and beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them all the things concerning himself. In another place, Jesus would say, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which do testify of me. Now, here's what I wanted to say to you. Just a few days ago, something we all know. Certainly I've known it. And then it was like my eyes were opened and I saw it. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you can look at it later if you'd like. In Genesis 3.15, man has just fallen. And through man, Adam and Eve, death comes on the world. And God had told them, you know, what they shouldn't do, and they did it. And God had said to them, the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, you will die. Satan came along and said, you're not going to die. God lies. He knows that if you take part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be a God. And you'll be like him. He knows that. Satan deceived Eve What's curious about Adam is the Bible says he wasn't deceived. His sin was willful. Well, the curse came on everybody anyway, and it came on us. And so immediately, immediately, God starts off with the first of many prophecies. He speaks to Adam. Adam blames his wife. He speaks to Adam's wife, Eve. Eve blames the serpent. And God curses in turn the serpent, the Satan, then Adam, and then Eve. But he says to the serpent, and I'm just going to paraphrase it again. This is Genesis 3.15. He says, you are going to bruise, again, I'm paraphrasing. You're going to be able to bruise the Savior. And we read Isaiah 53. But eventually he will consume and destroy you. Right? This is all paraphrase. And from there, we have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of prophecies written over the many long centuries and millennium of God working out his plan in this world with all people. At the moment, we are on probation. This is a probationary place. We haven't arrived, that's for sure. You're here, right? Some I've buried that used to sit here, and they've crossed over the line. They're gone. Judgment has already been rendered one way or the other. But we're on probation. And what I'm trying to convey to you is this. Again, it's the obvious, but just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus who knew what the scriptures said, they didn't quite understand what they meant. That's precisely the point. And then God just was touching me while I was reading, and then I saw it. I already knew the doctrine, of course. 
That God is working out a plan in all nations. He has been from Genesis, from the beginning, which, by the way, we're studying on Wednesday, if you're interested. If I was you, I would get interested real soon. I really would. We're running out of time. And we're on a probationary period right now. I know this is bold, and I'll be judged for it, perhaps, but this is what I would say to any of you. Either accept Jesus or reject him altogether. Because it won't be good to be halfway in between anyway. We read that in Revelation. that if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. God has been working a plan since Adam and Eve sinned. And we're seeing it unfolding with our eyes. Now, some of it has already unfolded, right? The Savior came. He was bruised, wounded for our transgressions. But he crushed Satan. Now, Satan's still alive. But he crushed him. In fact, one example, when we have the apostles... I mean, all of the disciples that were close to Jesus in his circle. He says, Behold, I give you power over serpents and scorpions to tread his, go out and heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, raise the dead. And they did. And when they came back, they were overjoyed. And they said to Jesus, You know, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And this is what Jesus said. He said, Don't rejoice that the devils, plural, are subject to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, don't raise your hand. Are you a Democrat? No, you're a good Republican. Well, neither party is going to save you. Conservatives, tea parties, all of these things. I'm an American. But I'll never put anything before Christ. Ever. Never. Because one day, all nations... All kingdoms will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And that's what gives us joy. If we don't have that, it's not likely that we're going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We'll be just like I said last week with the stock market. We're going to be on that roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. But when your eyes are fixed on God and his word, and when you have, as we sang just a moment ago, a few moments ago, the right spirit, they got to be connected. Otherwise, it's just information. When you have the right spirit, that's what we look for right there. Now we're building on the solid rock. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Those of us who are older, there's some of you here that are younger. We were once like you. It's hard to believe, right? We were once like you. And I didn't believe some of the things that were told to me by older people either. And one day you'll have pain in places that you didn't even know you had places. I actually said one way or another, that'll never happen to me. I work out. Well, I think I get less than some people because I work out, but that's what happen. Yeah. All other ground is sinking sand. I surrender all. So we can't know the Antichrist until we know the Christ. I mean, really know the Christ. I mean, really know not just what he said, but the spirit of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I think in this time in which we live and in this country in which most of us were born, it's a disturbing sermon to me. I don't want to be a peacemaker. You know what? I never really did. My boxing trainer was in the IRA. That's not your retirement account either. I've been around gangsters when I was young on both sides, Irish and Italian. There's a way to fix things. It was a way that I thought at one time. Now on reflection, as I look back and I know the book, I said, no, Lord, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I'm not here to solve America's problems. I'm not here to solve the world's problems. That's God's job. 
I'll do my duty. I'll be responsible. And I'll do whatever I need to do. But the Savior is Jesus Christ. Why do we believe the rapture will happen first? In the book of Genesis, we have Enoch, who says he walked with God and he was not. He was raptured. Of course, we have Noah, saved from the judgment of God. Build an ark. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, And Noah moved with fear, built an ark to the saving of his household. So let me just put a parenthetical point in there and say this to you. Noah's building the ark was an act of faith that you could see. Faith is something that we can see in people by the way they act, the way they behave. And there's Noah. He was saved from the judgment of God. We have Elijah taken up from the earth, still alive, in the chariot of fire. We have Philip in the book of Acts. And he's taken from the earth and put back on the earth and transferred, raptured. Paul taken up into the third heaven, brought back down to the earth, raptured. There's all these precedents that are in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to reiterate because I've already gone through all this with you of the instances in history of disappearances of mass numbers of people, like Rome's Ninth Legion, that nobody really knows what happened to these people. So both historically and biblically, we have precedent that people can disappear, and they can disappear in great numbers. Look at one of the most engaging things for a lot of people is, number one, did Atlantis actually exist? Of course, it's mentioned by Plato and others. And if it did, where is it? And now, because of modern technology, how many cities are they discovering underwater? I find it fascinating when you look at these temples off the coast of Japan, of India, things in South America and so on, to see these temples and everything. It's really fascinating to me. But whether Atlantis existed or not is above my pay grade. Actually, I don't care. I know there was an old world that was judged by God. That much I know. And we live in what biblically would be called the new world. But there's still yet another world to come. And believe me, it will come. Well, I say believe me. Believe the scriptures. It's going to come. And it's on its way. The rationale for believing in a rapture prior to the coming of an antichrist. I mentioned to you at least once in these messages that there are many people who don't like to hear messages on eschatology because it scares them. If it's scaring you, well, it may be a good thing, but if it's scaring you, it's because you're not walking with Christ. And I'm not even saying that you're not a Christian. I'm just saying wherever you are, you're not close to him because these are the things that Christians actually look for. We're looking for his appearance. We're not looking for the troubles. I'm just saying we're looking for his appearance. We're looking for his deliverance. We're looking for him to come. The Our Father, which every denomination uses. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. It's the beginning of the most famous prayer Jesus ever gave to the church. Every Christian denomination uses it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Kingdom come, it's what it's all about. Thy kingdom come. But I wanted to share this with you about judgment to encourage you that God has things well in hand and under control. Now, when we look out at things, we don't see it that way. You'll go home today and you'll catch up on the news and it will appear to you or just to people in general that things are out of control, but not to God. Second Kings chapter 6. Let's begin at verse 15. Backdrop to this story is Elisha is with his servant. There's only two of them. Hardly a great number of people. And the king of Syria wants to know how come they can never really have a successful campaign, a war campaign against Israel. And he thinks that somebody is tipping off Israel from the king's battle plans. 
And so every time they arrive there, Israel is gone, and they can never overcome them. The king asks his counselors, what's going on? Who's the mole? And one says, no, it's just not us. There's a man of God. Well, that's a really engaging phrase, too. In John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Of course, people have a habit of not listening to these men of God, but that's, again, that's human history. That's human nature. That's life. And here he says, there's a man of God who tells Israel the things that you speak privately in your bedroom. Well, where is he now? And they sent out a spy, and Elisha was in a place called Dothan. That's where we pick it up here. When the servant wakes up first, there's this great army surrounding them. So let's look at it in verse 15, 2 Kings 6. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host, all right, there's a large army, compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? I guess it would be better said, what are we going to do? There's two of us. We're surrounded by an army. Maybe a battalion, maybe more. There's only two of them. And they got horses and chariots. Obviously, they had swords and spears. There's only two of them. What are we going to do? Now listen. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Angels. We see their appearance at the very, very beginning of the Bible. Again, book of beginnings, Genesis. Elisha already knew this. One of the things we don't see about the characters of the Bible, we do see them going through the same type of trials that we go through and stressors and so on. But in the end, we see them always triumphing. And especially with Jesus now, there's always a certain composure. Please keep in mind when you read the New Testament, the kingdom that these people are in, the Jews, is Rome. Rome has a method of executing criminals that was put away from history for a long, long time. Well, 2,000 years, just about. In other words, we can say it this way. At this period of history, when Jesus is alive, Rome doesn't play around. But we always see a composure about Jesus. Well, you say, well, he's the creator. Yes, God became flesh. But his people who have his spirit potentially can have the same composure. Though we are frustrated and tempted, angry and upset and whatever else it may be, we can still have a sense of composure from the same spirit. The young man is worried, and I guess rightfully so, because he can't see. Elijah, he just simply got up when this young man is very nervous, and he says, what are we going to do? And Elijah begins to pray, says, Lord, just open his eyes. You know, that's my prayer for you today, because God's been doing it for me, and I'm grateful. I don't mean to just start it. I mean, this has been my life in Christ, but open their eyes, Lord. God is working out his plan that he started in the book of Genesis. And as Jesus would tell us, and the scriptures must be fulfilled. It doesn't mean that we have a mindset of determinism, of do nothing. That's no, just the opposite. We're supposed to be, Jesus said, occupied till I come. That doesn't mean just sit around. It means we're supposed to be busy working with his gifts and talents for the kingdom. And when we work for the kingdom, and especially in a country such as ours, and there's others, where we have power to elect who rules and makes laws over us, well, if we were making converts and we were preaching the gospel and working for the kingdom, then we get a double blessing. But if we're not working for the kingdom, then we get a double curse, which at the moment is pretty much where we're at. You've been with me on my messages on the state of the church. It's been in a stage of apostasy for a long time. God help us. God raise up men, 
women with power of the Spirit who just don't give out information how to have the best day of your life. What are they possibly preaching now? I don't know. I've not tuned in. Maybe I will just out of curiosity. What do you say to the American people now, all these popular preachers? <laughs> I don't know. You have to have a very vivid imagination to make it up. But you don't have to when you know God and when you read the Bible and you preach the Word of God. You don't have to have an imagination. <laughs> a bit of an intellect, okay, but not an imagination. Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That time has come. They don't want to hear about holiness and sanctification and come out from among them and all of that. They pick out teachers that tell them what they already have invented in their own minds. I like him. That's my kind of a preacher. Because you have itching ears. That's in the fourth chapter. The time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And that time has come. We must love the truth more than anything else because only the truth will make us free. And here's the bonus. The truth is good news. That verse I quoted from, I paraphrased it quite a bit. In Genesis 3.15 is the first evangelistic statement made in the Bible. God is going to send a Savior. It's the gospel. Right from the beginning, God was on it. Well, wouldn't we expect God to be on it? God is never at a loss. He's up in heaven and you come to him in prayer and you explain to him what's going on. He's, what? <laughs> Hold on. Let me turn on the news. All right, let me have a meeting with the angels. God doesn't do that. God is all powerful. He's watching all the time. And while men do whatever, men, I mean men and women, when they do whatever they do, God is still executing his plan. I'm, for one, I'm grateful that God doesn't say, I'm going to execute this plan. What do you guys think about it? We'll have a business meeting, and we'll get back to you. Well, we've amended your plan a little bit, God, and we want it, you know, he's not voted in. All in favor of God being God, say aye. Aye. Well, it's too bad. He doesn't care. God is God, and he's executing. Did I forget? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, now we got the gospel. You like what you see? You say no. I like what you see? You say no. But God is working, and he has been always, since he made Adam and formed him from the dust of the earth with lungs and a heart and bone, spine, all of this breathed on Adam, and he became a living soul just like you and I. God is working out a plan in his watchful eye. We sing this song again, one of my favorites. If his eye is on the sparrow, and it is. If his eye is on the sparrow, I know he's watching me. And he's watching over me for my good, because God is good. And God is benevolent. I mentioned before that we're in a probationary period. He's permitting man to do, individuals. He's permitting people to do whatever they want to do. This is the kind of creature God wants. God created man to be the type of creature, unlike every other creature, to be the kind of creature that can say, no, I will not have you to rule over me. I don't want you. I don't love you. I will not serve you. I will not follow your commands. And then hopefully you are in this group that says, I will be done, Lord. Because this is the wise person who knows that God's way is always the best way. For instance, we're asked to forgive our enemies. And I don't know, do you find that easy? <laughs> I don't. I have a different plan for my enemies. But God says this, again, it's a paraphrase. God says this. He says, now give place. Just let it go. I'll take care of it. That's a paraphrase of this one. Give place to vengeance, for vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. So it's God saying, I saw it. I'm watching. 
If you, again, study history, even if it's the history of people that you knew or know, and watch when they're sowing bad things, have you not noticed that bad things come on them? And then in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that the wicked, they trip over what they don't even understand, tripping over things in the dark, and they pervert their own ways, and they blame God. But God didn't do it. It's the principle or the law of sowing and reaping. You see, what I wanted to point out to you, okay, there's great tribulation coming, yes, and the Antichrist coming, yes, and we believe here that the church will be taken up before that. But again, we have room for disagreement with other brethren, and we have lots of room for charity, lots of room for love, in other words. And so we look at this, and people are frightened, and they're afraid, and that's how this servant of Elisha was. He was afraid, and we don't blame him. But it was Elisha who knew. Everywhere he went, he was surrounded by these divine bodyguards. I didn't read the rest of the story where he says, God blind these men. He blinds them, then he fakes them, and he says, well, where do you want to go? Take us back home. And he leads them right to the king of Israel, the very place they didn't want to be now that they're blind. But what I want to share with you is that we have hope in Christ. I think I told you about the man that approached me four or five months ago, and he announced that he was part of the militia. I announced that I was part of the church. Oh, so the man next to me, he's our chaplain. Interesting. Have you joined the militia yet? I said, well, no. I don't have hope in man. I've never had hope in man. And as I got older, I have even less hope, less trust. Some of us here grew up in the 60s. Remember the lyrics of the song, vote for me and I'll set you free? Rap on, brother. Rap on. We're in worse bondage now. I don't mean the last four years. I mean since I've been alive than we were when I was first born. Why? Because God is advancing his program. And God says, look to me and be ye saved, all the earth. Look to me. See, we have hope in Christ. We have hope. Let me give this to you about the rise of an antichrist. He has many names in the Bible, a few names. Antichrist is one. Self-explanatory. He's antichrist. But that doesn't mean that he won't pretend to be Christian. But again, if you have just information and your information is all jumbled, without the Spirit of God opening your eyes, well, then you might not recognize him because you're going to say, Hi, I'm a Christian. And I told you once before, how naive can anybody be if somebody comes to me, and I use this illustration, I want to use it again, right here, right on that spot, right there. Young man comes to me a couple of years back, right? Is I'm Jesus. I was right here. Somebody reminded me it was Christmas Eve. I didn't remember that, but okay. I'm Jesus, he says. I said, no, you're not. He said, I am, he said. I said, no, you're not. I know him, and you're not him. And he got angry. Of course, he was psychotic. But he said to me, he says, are you going to bow down and worship me or not? No, no. Now, I didn't lay hands on him right then and there. It was Christmas Eve. That's what they tell me. But ordinarily, I just say, well, let me just take this here and I'll just cast that spirit out of him. This poor young guy is being tormented by a demonic power. If indeed he's got a demonic power. It could be just psychosis. In any case, this young teenager didn't surprise me. But do you remember the pastor down in Florida? He passed away a couple years back now. Who told everybody that he was Jesus? And how many churches he spawned? Hundreds. They were taking up offerings in garbage pails. I mean, literal garbage pails, stuffing the money in. Because he told everybody he was Jesus, and he had hundreds, well, thousands anyway, of followers. They would go out and protest against other churches, saying that Jesus you preach and teach is false. We have Jesus. Now, that's a strong delusion that the Bible says would come on this age. Well, that would be a false Christ. The guy was an inmate, a drug addict, who came out and then got this idea that, hey, you know what? This is a good game, a good con. I'm Jesus. And people believed him. Now you say, well, that's pretty stupid and pretty naive. And I grant you that it is stupid and naive, but he had more followers than I have. Yeah. 
How do people fall into this? Well, that's another subject. But the rise of the Antichrist, that's what's going to happen in a manner of speaking. People will believe him. And all the time he's lying. John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost. So we have the 12 apostles he's speaking about as Jesus is praying to the Father. But then he says, but one, the son of perdition. Now look at this here. If you're there with me, John 17, 12. But the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. One of them had a defect. Again, this is God's foreknowledge. God didn't cause or make Judas to defect. But he called the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Again, I remind you, whether you understand much or you understand little, not important at the moment. We're watching scripture being fulfilled right in front of our eyes right now. And it should not become a cause of alarm for us. Not the trumpet of 1 Thessalonians 4. It can't be much, much further away. And I'm not going to set a date. I don't have a date. I don't know. I'm just saying that the signs are coming. The contractions are coming closer and closer. I know enough about this. My wife gave birth to five children. From watching her, I know that when contractions come quicker and quicker, the baby can't be far away. Our first child, when the contractions came in the middle of the night and she woke me up with some contractions, I fell back to sleep. <laughs> I was a newbie. I didn't know. And then I woke up. I don't know what time it was. Let's say it was 6.30. I woke up. Did you see the contractions were coming? I flew into the bathroom, showered, blue dried the hair that I had back then. You know, got all ready. And I'm, she said, well, we got time. I said, oh, I don't know. But as those contractions came closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, then with experience, then number two and three and four and then five, you understand that a minute apart and all that, it's getting very close. We are seeing the contractions here in the world coming closer and closer and closer. These are the signs. Judas was called the son of perdition. I find this very, very interesting. Perhaps you will. Turn with me one more scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. This speaks of the Antichrist. It also, this verse also speaks about the uh, falling away, which I've preached on that already. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means for the day of the Lord. That's what it's speaking about. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. It's only used twice in the Bible, son of perdition, once of Judas and once of the Antichrist. And then when we go over to 1 John, we learn that from the first century, there were antichrists, plural, small a, and that they went out from the church. They came out of the church. And it's led me to believe I need further research on this here. Is it possible that the antichrist will actually be a professing Christian? I'm saying he is. He's obviously not a Christian. So much so that he can fool the professing Christian. But here's the thing I want to give you for even more hope. That deception in the last days will be so great that Jesus said this, again, it's Matthew chapter 24. He said that if it were possible, the elect could be deceived. If it were possible. But it's not possible. Because again in 1 John it says, the anointing that we have, the Holy Spirit teaches us and we know. We know that a young man standing over here isn't Jesus. And I knew that a man standing down there in Florida had churches all over the place. Not just Florida, other countries, other places. I knew he wasn't Jesus. Especially, by the way, that he had a big dollar sign on the front of his pulpit. You just like they say, you can't make this stuff up. It's like we're living in some type of weird fiction. A dime novel that's so bad that nobody buys it. I consider myself fairly intelligent. But I'm telling you that I hear this about that and this about that. And I read up and I read up and I read from the right and I read from the left and I read from the middle. And I still don't quite get it. 
It's hard to get the truth. That's what I wanted to say. It's hard to get the truth anymore. Everybody has some agenda. I have an agenda. I'm not hiding it. Preaching Christ is my agenda. I'm not hiding it. I'm not deceiving you. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not doing anything. I'm preaching it. I'm preaching Christ Jesus. Him crucified, buried, risen from the dead, and coming again. That's my agenda. That's your agenda. And as I pray with you and for you, only God can show you these things. You can read the Bible. And I hope you're reading from cover to cover every year. All that information could make you just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus or the other disciples hiding up in the room or many others in years past that know the information of the Bible, but not the Spirit of Christ. Let's pray about things to come. And keep in mind that the word gospel means good news. We have hope in Christ. Father, we sang earlier about surrendering all, restoring unto us the joy of thy salvation. And God, that's my prayer now, that we would have you to touch hearts, those watching, those listening, those sitting here, that in Christ alone we stand. There is no other, no other. Christ alone, Christ plus nothing, Christ plus no one, Christ alone we stand. And it gives us a stability that no matter how hard we're hit, we can get back up and go at it again and again and again and again. Oh God, I bless you and praise you today, for truly you are great and greatly to be praised. But help us today, God. Let us not be led astray and misinformed. As we open your book in the morning, in the evening, whenever people do, and your spirit would illuminate us to understand the texts that we read. They're plain enough to the brain, but it takes your spirit to make them alive so that our hope is in Christ. This has always been the truth. It's the truth now. And it will continue to be the truth in all ages and for all eternity. God, we ask you today, in America, around the world, Send us a great awakening, not a political awakening, an awakening of your word, an awakening of prayer, an awakening of holiness, an awakening of separation from the things that cause us to sin against you. God, raise up preachers, even if it's the one last time. Raise them up, God. Give them your spirit and fullness of your spirit that they may preach without compromise, without mitigation, without fear the faces of the people they pastor or the places they visit. God, raise up your soldiers to preach your word that there's hope in Christ. Oh, God, do what only you can do. I can't do it. I can only pray. We can only pray. God, move by your spirit. We're asking, save, fill, move, oh, God. Save us from this generation. We give you all the praise, God. Give you all the glory. Not some of the glory. All of the glory. All of the credit. We bless your name. How fast people forget the information they get from a book that they've read, a lecture. I know in 24 hours, the great majority of what people hear is totally forgotten. But my prayer is that you don't forget and that you remember that you sang today, I surrender all. And when you feel the nails of the cross in your own life, and certainly it will come, you'll remember that that death is bringing his life. And the joy that goes with it, the strength and peace and faith and all those things Don't forget. So, Lord, today we finish, hard to believe, we've been in this church over 15 years now. How quick that went. How quickly the rest of our lives are going to go. Help us to surrender all and find the strength that we need and the faith that we need and everything else that we need. And then we'll know. Men can fail and they do fail, but you never fail because you're God. We give you all the praise 
and all the glory. Remind us this week, throughout the week, to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength, and also to love one another. And I pray that today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.